Welcome to another episode of the Feels Like 45 podcast. Cade Webb is out of office this week. He's traveling for work. However, I'm joined by special guest today, Aaron Fitt, co-editor and national writer for D1 Baseball. We had Aaron on last year to preview Oklahoma State Baseball, and he agreed very kindly to come back on and join us again to preview this upcoming season. Aaron, how's it going, man? It's going great, Dustin. How are you? doing well um i know last season you were really high on the cowboys they ended up finishing 42 and 22 15 and 9 in big 12 play finishes a top eight seed hosted a regional in stillwater probably one of the craziest regionals i've watched in recent memory with all the runs that were scored but unfortunately their season ended with a 7-3 loss to arkansas i know coming into this year it looks like all the d1 baseball guys are pretty high on Oklahoma State again. So kind of coming off this disappointing season, losing guys like Griffin Dorshing, Jake Thompson, Justin Campbell, along with a slew of other pitchers. How can Oklahoma State fans get excited about this team again moving into this year? And who are some of the new guys that they can get excited about? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really talented roster. Once again, I think they did a great job reloading um, through the transfer market and the freshman market. I mean, I think if you look at the newcomers, um, you know, they're on the short list of teams that probably improved, you know, with, with their roster as well as anyone did, even though they lost a lot of guys. Uh, I love, I love what they did in the off season. And so, you know, and it starts with, I think bringing in Jerron Watts Brown uh, from Oklahoma state, uh, you lose, as you mentioned, a Justin Campbell, an all American ace, and you're placing him with another all American, you know, or a guy that we, we project to be an all American preseason, all American Jerron Watts Brown uh, coming off a really strong freshman year, uh, you know, a good summer. I mean, he's, he's a real guy. And so I think that was priority number one was to overhaul um, the rotation a little bit. And then, you know, obviously you, you got to beef up the lineup a little and, and they did a great job. Uh, a couple of late additions to the, to the freshman class that they, they got in Nolan Schubert and Bo Sylvester, I think were, were huge. Um, those guys could step right into to jobs right away as freshmen. And, and I think provide some more, some more firepower and some protection for, uh, for your, your other heavy hitters, your Nolan McLean's, your Rock Riggio's. Uh, I, I think this is a very balanced team with, with depth and athleticism and power. Uh, I think they're going to defend and, and there's a lot of power arms too. And, and sure there's, maybe that's your question mark. If you're looking for a question mark is how the pitching will shake out, but um, there's a lot to be excited about here. Yeah. And that actually goes perfectly into the next point that I wanted to bring up with you, the pitching and the pitching rotation. You know, we talked about you guys have the freshman class rated as number 17 overall, the transfer class rated as number five overall. So they've got a lot of good new guys coming in, both as hitters, fielders, and pitchers. I know you were able to watch Oklahoma State in the fall. Talked about losing Justin Campbell. They're losing Victor Medeiros, Trevor Martin, Roman Fansalker, Bryce Osmond, Cale Davis, the trader who transferred to OU. <laughs> and it looks like the pitching rotation is going to start with Watts Brown. I think that's pretty obvious, but who are some guys that you think like, who's going to start Saturday? Who's going to start yeah. Sunday? I know, I know it might 
kind of work itself out in the beginning of the season and then kind of sure itself out as it goes along. But if you had to take a stab at it right now, who would be those kind of Friday, Saturday, Sunday guys? Who's your number one closer? Is it McLean again? And kind of who are some guys out of the bullpen we should watch for? Yeah, and this is, I guess, the question mark is how the roles are going to settle on the mound because, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of talent here, but it's it's just, we, we don't know. There's not a lot of track record as far as guys who have been weekend starters, you know, on, the, on this team in particular. But, um, you know, Jansen Kiesel is the guy that I'm probably the most excited about uh, besides Watts Brown uh, among the newcomers. I mean, I think we can all assume Watts Brown will be your Friday guy. And then, um, you know, Kiesel, if he throws enough strikes, I mean, he, he, he's got Friday night stuff for sure. I mean, it was very electric. Uh, and I saw him for a, a short stint in the fall, but it was like a dominant inning, you know, 94, 96 with life and a really good slider. And, um, you know, he's high spin that can really get the swing and miss up on the zone with the heater. And I mean, it's, uh, it's stuff that plays. Um, it's just a matter of, of, throwing enough strikes and uh, you know, he, he did a good job last year as a freshman at BYU um, got, you know, certainly got his feet wet, struck out more than a batter inning in, in 46 innings. So I think uh, making that next step, he could be a star. He could be, my opinion could wind up as a Saturday guy. Um, I know they're, they're really high on the, the freshman left-hander uh, Brennan Phillips, um, a, a guy that I think uh, they believe could be a, a weekend rotation piece um you know somebody with some projection but right now i think he stands out most for just his kind of feel for pitching you know classic left-hander i mean it's not going to blow you away maybe with velocity at this point i think he was 87 to 90 when i saw him but um you know it's 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 feel for the slider feel for the change up mixing counts and things like that i mean those guys you know if you can throw strikes with three pitches from the left side you have a pretty good chance to be successful in college baseball. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a guy that I think could very well be, be in that starting mix. Um, I know they like Brian, uh, Hendry, another transfer from St. John's, the guy coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, it's more power stuff, you know, 93, 94, maybe. Did he pitch in the fall? I didn't see when him. you saw him. Okay. I didn't see him. Um, I believe he did pitch in the fall, though. You know what? I take that back. I did see him. Looking at my notes now, uh, I did see him for an inning. He was he was ninety three, ninety four, with with a good with a good breaking ball too. It was like 80, 81, You know, kind of hammer curve. Twelve. So six. fully recovered then from Tommy yeah, John. Exactly. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and that's one that, you know, when I, I was kind of assuming coming back from TJ and given his track record, that he'd be a bullpen piece, but I think they like him as a potential starter also. Um, so that's, that's four guys there that are very much in the mix. Uh, and you know, I don't know how it'll, how it'll shake out exactly. There could be somebody else that, that slides into that, um, into that, that group. I mean, whether it's like a Ryan Yuri, uh, the, the left-hander, uh, who, who I know that they like and, um, you know, Gabe Davis, freshman that I think has a huge ceiling, really like projectable, lanky, tall guy that uh, uh, what, six foot eight, I believe. I mean, it's coming yeah. at you from, from some tough angle. So uh, many tall guys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> with, with some velocity. This is a really tall team. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, um, I don't know if that's just a point of emphasis for them or it's just how, how it fell. But boy, they got they got big body dudes in this club. Uh, and he's another one, you know, and, and I mean, as he fills out that frame, six, eight. 205 you know there's a lot of projection as they say i mean there's a lot of room for him to to get stronger as he matures and i already saw him up to 94 miles an hour you know with a power breaking ball in the fall so he's a guy um it, it's a it's a very exciting group of arms here so before we get kind of into the bullpen a little bit more a couple of the guys you just mentioned i start with watts brown i know we've talked about him a little bit how many pitches does he throw consistently is he a, is he a three pitch guy four pitch guy and kind of what are those yeah, I think it's four real pitches, and 
the day I was there in the fall, um, it was he only needed two of them. It was a quick one inning thing, and it was just struck out the side in order with fastball and slider. But I mean, it was you know 93 95 with command and life from a high slot. Uh, slider was plus, you know, 85 like a power pitch. You see a slider in that velocity band, uh, with tight spin. Uh, but you know, talking to Josh Holiday and, and Rob Walton, the bottom, I mean, he's also got apparently a real good change up and a and a. And a power curveball as well. It's a true four pitch guy um, from the right side. You know, last year he struck out. Uh, I mean, it's a really good strikeout rate, but also low walk rate. You love to see that combination um, at Long Beach state. And, uh, and he was great in the Cape. I know, you know, we, we saw him in the Cape and, and it was even not quite as much velocity in a starting role. It was maybe 92, 93, but um, it was good. He was, he was really yeah. impressive in the Cape as well. So he's, he's the real deal. Okay. And then Phillips, did he look comfortable in that kind of, I know it was, I know it was fall, but coming from high school into the college environment, did he look pretty comfortable in his outing? Yeah, I think, uh, yes. I mean, again, it was a short look. It was just one inning, but it was, it was a scoreless frame, um, you know, and, and he looked like he was in command and you're pitching against, you know, instructional league guys and the Rangers organization. I mean, some of them are younger, some of them are older, um, but you know, there was like, some guys who are 23 years old on that club who were stars in college, like Josh Hatcher. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was, it's a good look, you know, hanging in against those guys. Um, yeah. I think he's, I think he's ready to, to take out a pretty big role. He's one of those guys that feels polished and mature for his age. I love that they can get that experience in the fall against like the Texas Rangers prospects or something yeah. like that. I think that's a huge confidence boost kind of going in whether they perform well or not. I think it's a positive either way. Agreed. Absolutely. It's, it's so, uh, you know, it was really disappointing when they uh, didn't allow that, uh, when they didn't allow the outside scrimmages, but now that they can do that, you can play other college teams. You can play these, you know, like you said, the, 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 the Rangers, the, the Rangers did a great tour in the fall. I saw them like four days in a row against <laughs> OSU and Oklahoma and, and Arkansas for two days. And it was like, they were getting their money's worth. Then they went down to play TCU after that. So uh, you know, why not? It makes sense for the Rangers. It makes sense for all these college teams too. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, you noted in your preview, because you actually did the top 25 breakdown preview on D1 Baseball of Oklahoma State. They're losing their top seven innings eaters from last spring. It sounds like the bullpen seems to be the major question mark, just with how many guys they lost. Not that they don't have good guys on the team. Who do you think the major contributors will be? I, I know Bogus is coming off an injury. He may not be available at the start of the season. We talked about your, I've, I've heard, it sounds like he may also be a little banged up right now. Right. Outside of those two, who are some other guys we could look for? Is Carson Binge a guy who makes an impact yeah. this year? Um, who, who do you think? Yeah, that's Carson Binge is definitely one that I would, I would keep an eye on. And, and when I was there, he wasn't, he was still working his way back from Tommy John. Uh, he was throwing up to 150 feet, I believe. Um, they were expecting him to be back on the mound in, in November. So I'm not, I haven't checked in to see how he's progressing, but I know that he's an arm that they really like. And um, I would think, you know, he'll be built up slowly as the season goes along. But by the time we get into March and April, I, I would suspect he would be a key piece. Um, obviously, Nolan McLean, you know, I think, uh, uh, I think he's going to be the, the, the back end anchor. I mean, and mm. it's, you know, it's electric. And, and honestly, and I know that it got a little hairy there in, in the regional, uh, in a tight spot. The ball was flying. It was a ridiculous, ridiculous offensive <laughs> weekend. I mean, he, he threw more strikes maybe than he gets credit for. Like, if you look at his yeah. numbers overall last year, it's like, 
Um, I think the, I think the command is fine. The control certainly he throws enough strikes, and it's just electric stuff. The fastball is explosive with ridiculous life in addition to velocity, and um, you can miss bats with the secondary stuff. You, you, you just love guys that can miss bats the way he can. Um, and he's you know, he's got the demeanor too. I think he's got the toughness and the poise. So uh, that's the guy that I think is is you know kind of a linchpin. What do you think he's working on most? You know he. Drafted in the third round, didn't sign with the Orioles. I know he's going to be working on some things at the plate, like that swing and miss rate. But at the mound, what do you think he wants to improve upon if he wanted to do that at the major league level, as in pitch, I mean? Yeah, and I, and I do think that there's probably a lot of scouts who view him that way just because the the swing and miss rate at the plate is is high. And you know, if you look historically, like it's, he's got top of the charts power, right? And so it's hard to walk away from that, that kind of power potential. He did hit you know, a lot of home runs last year. Like he, he's been productive, but if you look historically at guys that strike out at that kind of a rate, very few of them ever really go on to hit in, in the major league level. Um, right. And so, so for that reason, I think a lot of scouts say, Hey, put them on the mound and we'll just, you know, we'll take the 98 mile an hour turbo sinkers and the, you know, the wipeout sliders and, and we'll take our chances, but it's just a matter of experience and, and, you know, polishing up the command. I think that's the big thing. I think he's right now it's more control over command. You know, he, it's, it's more, he can throw a strike, but it's not, not necessarily the kind of quality strike that you, that you want in every situation. I, I think that that's it. It's just, and that's just comes with experience. Yeah, that makes sense. Anybody else out of the bullpen that you think makes it? I mean, we haven't even talked about guys like Baden root who were still on the team last year. Any of the newcomers you think that we didn't mention as a possible starter, make an impact out of the bullpen. Yeah, there's a few guys that um, I think are in that mix. Uh, Cade Shatwell, the guy that I know Holiday mentioned is a freshman that that could be another one that contributes. I didn't see him, but I know that they, they like him. Um, I did like their, their some of the JUCO transfers a lot. Um, you know, Evan O'Toole. It would probably the, the the top one on that list for me, you know, power righty up to 95. Uh, I saw a good breaking ball there. A guy named Brant Hogue from the left side. Kind of you know some funk to him, three quarters look um, up to ninety three with you know a good slider and changeup. I thought, uh, I mean, I think I even wrote that he kind of he kind of has some metrics that are similar to what Cooper Jerpy did last year for Oregon State. He was a pitcher of the year, of course, in college baseball. But that low slot with some um, you know some kind of almost rise action is how how it plays. It's not actually rising, but uh, it's that that approach angle is kind of unique. So that's one that I'm very intrigued by. Curious to see how he does as a JUCO transfer. And then and then is it Isaac Stebbins or Stevens? I'm not sure how they pronounce it, but kind of a low slot guy, uh, sidearm, you know, up to ninety four. Um, so those three Juco guys, that's a nice group. I mean, those are, you know, we talk about those guys and the other, uh, division one transfers like Henry and, and Kiesel, uh, and Watts Brown. I mean, those six guys right there are all dudes you plug in through transfers and, and those are all going to be contributors. I, I would be surprised if they're not all six of them, key pieces of, of the bullpen or the rotation. That's awesome to hear it. It'd be great too to get guys like Hogan, Phillips, some left-handed consistent arms because last season I feel like that was something Oklahoma State really didn't have, like a guy that was consistent left-handed. Your showed some flashes. They had uh, can't think of his name, big guy that threw left-handed. That's no longer there anymore. But it's it's just something that this bullpen I don't think has really had at least last year. So that would be great. But um, to move okay, so moving on, I think we've hit pitching. So let's move on to hitting now. I know a question Cade and I have got on the podcast when we talked baseball leading up into this season is how do you replace the power 
of Dorshing Thompson and even a guy like Caden Trinkle in this lineup. You're bringing back McLean, who we know can hit bombs. But who else? Who who bats three, four, five for this team right now outside of a McLean? So there's, I think, a number of of candidates here. I mean, obviously, you know, Riggio um, is is. I don't know if he can hit two hole or where they're, they're going to put him from three hole. I mean, he's he's a big time guy for me. I mean, I, I I'm just expecting a monster year. I, we have him as a preseason All American. Um, I took him on our. We did like a a fantasy draft exercise in our most recent podcast, um, where each guy had a, a a cost associated with him based on our power rankings, our player power rankings, and and I made sure I had Brock Riggio on my team because I, I just I think he's going to have a. I would huge have done year. the same. I mean, it's you know he's just the energy that he brings, but also I mean it's it's explosive bat speed, and uh, I I just think he's he's a monster, you know, and he showed it. Kind of came to his own last year once he finally got completely healthy in the second half. Um, but you know, him and, and McLean, you got two preseason all Americans right there. You know, that's a great place to start. You're building your lineup. You got Marcus Brown, who's a proven commodity, who's gonna be the, the spark plug guy, makes him go and hits for average and gonna rack up doubles. Really nice piece. Zach Earhart, really nice piece as a as a sophomore, you know, emerging uh, uh huge breakout pick to click. Is he one of the most underrated players in college baseball? Just with, I, I mean, I think he led the team in steals. I think he's second in average, second or third in on-base percentage. Yeah. Great in the field. I know you guys talk about him a lot, but I feel like nationally he doesn't get near the recognition, obviously, of a of a Riggio or a McLean or a Marcus Brown. But I think he's got just as much talent as some of those guys. You're right. And in fact, you know, to your point, I just used the word. I think he's going to be a pick to kick, click breakout guy, but he already hit, you know, 332 as a freshman <laughs> and he was already productive. Like, is he really a breakout guy? I just think he's going to take a next step. You know, right. I think he's going to be, uh, become that kind of more recognized star this year that, cause you're right at this point, I don't think he is just because maybe it's just because, you know, he didn't hit for a lot of power. It's not like a high slugging percentage, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's, he's a, he showed he can hit for average. He can find the barrel. He can run, he can move runners. He's, he's a dynamic player, but I think there is more strength there too. I think it's, I think there, there is bat speed. He's not a big guy, but there is bat speed. Um, I'm expecting, you know, at the very least he's going to hit a lot of doubles and triples and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, that 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 OPS will climb. Uh but yeah, he's he's a guy I'm very high on. He's really talented, exciting, fun player. Um and so I think with him and Marcus, I would assume would be probably the top two guys in the lineup. And then you've got and I'm just kind of spitballing here, but I mean then you probably would go Riggio and and uh and McLean and maybe David Mendham of course that veteran um you know left-handed hitter who just kind of like a, a give you quality at bats you know he's got power he kind of that talk about a guy that flies under the radar i mean he's yeah. an older he's an older guy not sexy hits, but hits it at the right time he gets you yeah. to hit it when you need it exactly for sure he's he's got a knack for that uh you know that timely timely hit for sure but i mean so then you know that gets you i don't know five six tyler wolfert uh would be a name to keep an eye on here yeah tell us a little bit about him i had i had a note to ask you a little about a little bit about him because i think He's someone that you guys have, if if McLean were to pitch or play right field more this season, he's someone I think you guys have as the starter at third base. Exactly. Right. And and you know, I, I don't know exactly what they're gonna do. I if if gun to my head, I suspect that's what they do. I put I bet they put McLean in right field and and, and have Wolford at third base more often than not. Um 
you know, I don't know if the, if they've settled that in the last couple of weeks. Again, I haven't really checked in with them yeah. recently, but uh, he he can do it. I mean, you know, he certainly can hit, and and I think that bat will find its way into the lineup. Um, the defense, I guess, is kind of the key. Is can he, you know, how good is he at the hot corner? I, I don't know if we know that yet, but uh, he hit twenty home runs. You know, Juco ball. He's he's a plus runner. Um, you know, it, it's right handed power, and and I think there's an approach too. I saw him, you know, handle off speed stuff pretty well. Um, and and so I just think that it's it's a guy that could do some offensive upside. You're trying to maximize the firepower. I think if you put McLean in the outfield and Wolford a third, that's a way to do it. Um, because then you can you can put Bo Sylvester in there. At the DH spot, you know, which gives you another again a freshman that that, that we really like that I think will hit for average and power. I think he's going to be a star. I think Nolan Schubert's going to be a star. Um, and you know, if you got those guys hiding down six seven hole or something, I mean, those guys are going to sneak up and hurt people because Schubert. I mean, Holiday's really trying to make sure he doesn't overhype this guy. You, you can tell <laughs> he's he's trying. I saw you write that, yeah, but he can't help it. You know, like he he's saying, I'm, I'm really not trying to overhype him, but I see some Josh Hamilton <laughs> characteristics here. And it's like, OK, I mean, it is, you know, it is what it is. Like he's he's got that kind of upside. It's it's a tall body dude that has ridiculous strength and, you know, and, and there's aptitude and there's athleticism for, for a big guy. He runs he runs pretty well. He's six, six and he's long strider, but it, it plays um, and, and, you know. He, he was kind of a big name prospect in high school uh, who didn't have a great senior year, I think, relative to expectations. And so I think he was committed to to Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. Or And when they had a coaching Both Schubert and Sylvester, right, were committed yeah. to, I think, Michigan and Washington decommitted That's from right. Oklahoma State, which is, I mean, big time. Exactly. Those are, I mean uh, – late gets for this team after they were coaching changes at both those places. It was this past summer. I mean, usually you're not getting players of that caliber out of high school, you know, right before their freshman year of college that just, you know, it's so rare for that to happen and to get two of those guys, um, blue chip guys, Schubert, you know, again, he was a huge name. I don't think probably two or three years ago that the scouts would have said, this guy's going to college. He's going to, you know, he's going to be a first round pick and probably in sign, you know, out of high school. Um, and, and, you know, again, maybe it was a, a victim of unfair expectations, but he got through the draft and here he is, you know, and he's got a chance to be a, to be a huge star and, and Sylvester too, um, you know, maybe not as much pure ceiling just because the way he's built, but he's a catcher too, you know, he's, he's more compact frame, but uh, if, if he gets a chance to catch next year, I, I doubt he'll catch much this year with the two guys in front of him, but if he gets a chance to catch in the future and he, he provides you the kind of offensive value they think he can, um, that's, that's pretty good upside too, you know, for that position. And heck, I mean, just look what he did in the, in the, the West coast league as a, as a, you know, incoming freshman against college players. He was the MVP of the league, I believe, or, or maybe the top prospect or whatever it was. He had a great summer. So that that's encouraging. Yeah. I'm really excited to watch those two. Okay. I think we've, we've cleared hitting. Let's talk a little bit fielding. And then I want to get kind of your predictions on big 12 and Oklahoma state's outlook before we wrap up. So Fielding-wise, Oklahoma State top 20 in fielding percentage last year. They're not really making that many changes in the field because, you know, Dorshing DH'd a lot, so Mendham's back at first. You've got Atkinson and Darty back at catcher. McLean may be moving to right field, but you're still keeping Earhart out there. You're really just losing Trinkle then in the outfield. Kind of what do you think? Do you think they improve in this aspect? And then along with that, are Marcus Brown and Rock Riggio the best middle infield duo in the country, or at least one of the best? Definitely one of the best. Um, may be the best. It's just, I guess it just depends on, 
you know, how Riggio's defense progresses in year two. Cause certainly I think from an offensive standpoint, okay, I'll, I'll probably take those, put those guys up with anyone. Um, you know, I think Riggio is maybe kind of an average defender last year. Um, I, I think he's better than that. I think he can be better than that. And and if he progresses the way I, I expect in year two, fully healthy again, um, then yes, my answer would be, uh, I think at the end of the year, those two guys will be the best middle infield in the country uh, as far as offense and defense, the whole package. Um, and then, you know, again, talk about being strong up the middle is so important in college baseball and having Earhart in center field. I mean, dynamic playmaker, range, you know, does it all and having two catchers that they feel really good about, you know, uh, uh, with Atkinson, who's just a, a veteran steady guy that, uh, they love, they love the makeup. They love the way he interacts with his teammates and handles a pitching staff and, uh, and Doherty kind of the, the emerging talent as a sophomore, uh, that gives you some more offensive upside behind the plate if, if you want. So, and, and having two catchers that you like and really three catchers with, with, with Sylvester, but, um, it allows you to keep those guys fresh over the, the course of a long grind of a season at a very demanding position. So always a good thing to have some depth at that position. So I, yeah, I, I do think uh this defense does look strong um you know and mentum is maybe not the most range first base but he has a good job he's a good first baseman and uh you know schubert's got arm strength uh, whether he's in right field or left and you know there's there's other athletes that they can put out there i know they like noah turley could be a guy or brandon holt um you know from lsu the transfer uh they can they can make substitutions to maximize their defensive potential um and so that's a good thing too so yeah i i would expect this to be a very uh uh you know quality defensive club yeah no it's awesome to hear I, i'm all the names we mentioned i think we've run through mm. most of the roster so far so i love it i think Everybody listening is going to really love it because a lot of these guys are so new. It's great to get your take on some of them, especially getting to watch a lot of them in the fall. So speaking of the Big 12 outlook, you know, TCU, Tech, OU, Texas, those are kind of the names that are going to be in the mix, I think, unless I left anybody off with Oklahoma State. So just kind of with those teams, with Oklahoma State's schedule, you know, they're in the college baseball showdown in Arlington. They've got to play Mizzou, who I know is more of a bottom tier team in the SEC, but then Vandy, Arkansas, who are both ranked in you guys' top preseason top 10. What's kind of your prediction for Oklahoma State's finish in the Big 12? Do you think they can finish as a top eight seed again? And how far, I mean, are they a college World Series pick for you this year? Just kind of what's your out season outlook for this team? Yeah, I think uh, for me, they are the team to beat in, in the conference. Um, you know, we, we picked them to win the league. I think we had TCU second, um, followed by Texas Tech. And then you've got Texas. I think that's kind of our uh, our order in the top four. For, uh, and then Oklahoma, I guess, is in there with, with Texas. Oklahoma, I still think, is kind of sneaky dangerous, you know, because they lost a ton from last year. But, um, again, I think they did a good job reloading too. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be in the mix. But it really feels like you've got five teams that feel regional caliber and then probably a gap, um, yeah. you know, between those guys and then the rest of the league. I mean, maybe, maybe West Virginia sneaks up there. I feel like Kansas is, I like their long-term outlook with, with uh, coach Fitzgerald over there now taking over, but I, you know, they, they, they tried to, to overhaul the roster quickly. I don't know if it's ready yet. Um, Oklahoma state for me is, is the most complete team. TCU also dangerous. And, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm not sold on Texas tech either. So it kind of feels to me like a heading into the season, like a two horse race with Oklahoma state and TCU. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would put Oklahoma State in my eight for Omaha right now. 
just, you know, the best team in the Big 12 is as, as I think they're going to be with the firepower that they have, with the the postseason experience that they gained last year, even though I know they didn't get past the regional, but it felt like they got three years worth of experience that one weekend. <laughs> it was so insane. That was um, wild. My goodness. But, you know, it's a, it's a coaching staff that I really believe in. And, you know, I, I know that there's, again, there's a lot to prove on the mound, but I love the talent that they have on the mound. And, and I, and I believe in, in Rob Walton's ability to, you know, to, to, to pull the right levers and, and get the, the right combination there. So yes, uh, class of the big 12. And for me, I do think it has a, it's an Omaha team. Personally, I think this weekend, they're probably Walton's probably going to try out a lot of different pitchers. That that's just my guess. So to Oklahoma State fans, if they don't look amazing this weekend at times or give up some runs, I think they need to kind of try out some of these arms, either the young guys or the guys that are transferring in. So I think this weekend, I think it's kind of hard to predict how they'll fare against those three teams. But I don't know if I'd let this weekend kind of you know, change your expectation about what this season could be. Does that, right. does that make sense? Do you agree, Aaron? For sure. Yeah. And, and honestly, this early in the season, if, if you're a pitching coach who's worth your salt, I mean, you're not extending any of your pitchers for more than whatever, five innings or whatever this pitch count is. I mean, uh, you got to ease those guys along slowly, which means it's a great opportunity to try out, you know, a, a, a combination of other guys and see what you've got. You know, and the only way to find that out is to throw guys into the fire. So I think all coaches should do that. Not all of them do, but I, I think you're right that, that Rob Walton will. I, I think you'll probably see, you know, and, and hey, you're playing Vanderbilt in Arkansas. You got a chance to, uh, you know, show what you're made of right out of the shoot. And that's fun. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. It was awesome. Hopefully we can have you back again next year. I'm not going to hold you to that right now. I know you're really busy, but we'll make really it appreciate happen. it. <laughs> and thanks so much. And uh, yeah, have a good one. I know the fans will really appreciate it. We'll, we'll send out Aaron's info whenever we finish up the podcast where you can follow him on Twitter. And if you're not subscribed to D1 baseball, you should be. It's the best college baseball news out there. They've got tons of different podcasts as well. Articles come out after these tournaments, after big weekends. Oklahoma State will get a, written about a lot as long as they continue to play well. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think you need to keep it locked there throughout this season. Thank you, Dustin. I appreciate it, and it's great talking with you as always. Awesome. See you later, Aaron. Bye. All right. Thanks so much to Aaron for joining I hope that you guys are excited for Cowboy Baseball. The games this weekend will be shown on Flow Baseball, similar to Cowboy Softball last weekend. I actually thought Flow wasn't that bad for the softball games. There were a couple of te technical difficulties during the games, but overall, wasn't terrible. They've got the game replays. I wasn't able to watch all of them live, so to go back and watch the replays was cool. But all right, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor before discussing some other Oklahoma State sports news. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback 
t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right, FEELS12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code FEELS12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the FEELS Like 45 podcast is All right, we're back. Let's hit a couple of quick football notes. Jason Taylor II and Tyler Lacey will be at the NFL Combine coming up February 28th through March 6th. We had previously mentioned that Jason Taylor would be headed there, but I don't think we noted Lacey will be there as well. The Big 12 had 39 players total, and there's going to be a total of 319 prospects altogether. So it'll be a lot of fun. I know NFL Network normally broadcasts that. You'll be able to see these guys. I've said it on the podcast. I think Jason Taylor will perform pretty well. I don't think he's going to run like a 4 3 40 or anything, but he's a pretty athletic guy. And I'm going to be really interested to see what Tyler Lacey does as well. I think both of these guys can increase their stock. Oklahoma State will have their pro day as well during the spring, which was the spring schedule was released recently, which we'll get to next. But really excited to see Jason Taylor and Tyler Lacey at the combine. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. A couple of quick spring practice schedule notes Peyton Thompson. Former Oklahoma State walk-on quarterback. He left last year, played quarterback at UCO. He's now back at Oklahoma State. I know there were a lot of positives in the past about how well he played scout team QB, which is a really important position to try and get the defense ready for the game each week, kind of simulate the opponent's offense. I know all the coaches really liked what Peyton Thompson did. So glad that he's back. I don't think he's anyone that you'll see get any action in game for Oklahoma State, but I think he's a key piece for practice and for game prep. So awesome awesome to have Peyton back. I know, I know I've always heard positive things about him. And then the spring practice schedule is released. So what Cade and I had said previously that they were going to put some practices on Saturday now to kind of work out some recruiting visits is going to happen. So practice starts Monday, March 20th. They'll practice Monday, Wednesday, Saturday that week. Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, the next week. Then we get into April. Again, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. Monday, Wednesday, Saturday with the spring finale taking place on Saturday, April 22nd. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I don't think there's a home baseball game that Saturday, which I know last year there was, which is kind of cool. You could hit the spring game and then baseball. But not a big deal. The spring game still a lot of fun. I think it's going to be really interesting to go to this year to see Brian Nardo, what he does with the defensive scheme. You know, they're not obviously not going to show everything at spring, at the spring finale, at the spring game, whatever you want to call it. But it's going to be a lot of fun. You'll have Alan Bowman out there. You have new running backs, new wide receivers, and Elijah Collins, Dejon Stribling, Leon Johnson. We'll see what they do with the tight end position. We'll see where Blaine Green lines up. Is he still a tight end? Is he back to the X receiver spot, which personally I think he'll do. Got a lot of new guys on the defensive side of the ball as well. Justin Wright, Justin Kirkland. So it's going to be really cool to see these guys in action for really the first time at the spring finale. So I definitely think this is going to be for me and Cade anyway, this is going to be a highly anticipated spring finale. And I definitely, definitely think it'll be something you want to check out. A couple of quick recruiting notes. You know, we have the dead period until February 28th, but Oklahoma state was able to get a commitment in the 2024 class. They're first on the defensive side of the ball from Willie Nelson, 
So last Friday, 2024, Longview, Texas defensive back Willie Nelson committed to OSU via Twitter. Nelson was offered last May and visited a few times before making his decision. He's listed at 5'9", 170 pounds, held offers from Colorado, SMU, OU, and then some other small schools mixed in there. 247 has him as a three-star, the number 61 safety, number 95 prospect in Texas. This past season, I think Longview made it to the semifinals of the Texas 5A Division I playoffs. He had 80 tackles, two tackles for loss, seven pass breakups, five interceptions, and I think he returned one for a TD. So that he also plays basketball, runs track. His track 100-meter dash time is 11.74, which if you translate that to the 40-yard dash, it's around a 4.748. You'd like to see it a little bit faster. He looks faster than that on film, so I'm kind of taking that with a grain of salt. Not sure if he's if he's had any faster time since then. I think that was last spring. He's the third commitment in the 2024 class. You know, we talked about Rodney Fields, the Southeast running back, and the Stillwater tight end, Josh Ford. So all those guys are pledged so far. So three commitments in the 2024 class. Watching his film, he breaks on the ball really well out of his back pedal. Good tackler from the safety position. He looked to mainly line up as kind of the free safety, but I did see him lined up over the slot a couple times. Real fluid hit movements. Nice job of high pointing the football, going get it before the wide receiver can in those contested catch situations. And he's also made some plays as a return man in the film I watched. So that's pretty cool. They also sent out a couple of offers in the 2024 class. The first one is to Lufkin, Texas high school, Kendra Young, running back. Des Bryant went to Lufkin High School, so that's where you may have heard of that before. Young's 5'10", 220 pounds, holds about 15 offers that I could find. Arizona, Arizona State, Georgia Tech, Missouri, Notre Dame, Purdue, Texas, Texas Tech, Tulane, and UTSA. He's not ranked at this time, but I think he's going to be soon. Rushed for 1,751 yards and 19 touchdowns on 237 carries this past season. Next, we've got three-star running back out of Waco, Connolly. Probably heard of that school as well. Corey Black is from there. Oklahoma State uh, is recruiting Kobe Black, who's also in the 2024 class. Trent Pullen, former Oklahoma State offensive lineman who transferred out, is from Waco, Connolly as well. So Keeper Sebley is this guy's name, another running back, 5'8", 185 pounds, has offers from Abilene Christian, Nebraska, Texas State. But I know some schools like Baylor, Oregon State, TCU are looking at him. This past season, he put up absurd numbers, 2,291 yards, 29 touchdowns on just 186 carries, just over 12 yards a carry and almost 200 yards a game. He also had six receptions for over 100 yards and a TD. And he threw it a couple times. So he kind of can do everything and play defense for Waco Conley. So Sebley is kind of a do-it-all guy. Both of these running backs, I think, would be big-time gets. I really like them. So hopefully we hear a little bit more from these guys. But that's all the football news we have for today. So we'll keep it posted. Once we get out of the dead period, I'm sure the recruiting news will kind of pop up. And then as we get closer to the spring, anything Cater I hear, we will definitely let you guys know, and we'll probably do one more depth chart, maybe that first week of spring practice once we get some kind of news there. All right, on to basketball. Two games have happened since Oklahoma State last played. 
They won both, one against Texas Tech and one against Iowa State. Due to some scheduling issues, had to record on a Tuesday. I'm recording right before the KU game. So I'm not going to talk too much about that game because by the time this podcast is released, that game will probably have already started. We can talk about some rest of the season stuff, some bracketology after we get through these quick recaps. So last Wednesday, Oklahoma State beats Texas Tech 71-68. Kind of a quick recap on how that game went. Bryce Thompson led the team with 21 points. Woody Newton led the team in assists with three. Caleb Boone led the team in rebounds with nine. I actually was there in person for this one. GIA wasn't super packed. Pretty bad weather. It was wintry mix, sleeting, snowing on the way there, but it was still a really fun environment. It got really loud at times. Had a lot of fun. Uh, a buddy came in town, former podcast sponsor, Andrew Cox, and then friend of the pod, Alex Fuller, went up there with me. So we had a lot of fun watching that game. The Cowboys used a 16-2 run to kind of extend their lead to 22-15 behind Bryce Thompson's early 12 points. Bryce finished the half with 21 and Oklahoma State led 36-34 at the break. In the second half, Oklahoma State went on a 16-4 run, capped off by a Caleb Asbury three that put Oklahoma State up 52-38. However, the Red Raiders went on several runs of their own. Oklahoma State went on some droughts, and they came roaring all the way back until at the last minute, the game ended with a John Michael Wright put-back layup with seconds remaining that won the Cowboys the game. If you haven't seen a replay of that, you should go check it out. Very exciting, crazy stuff there. John Michael Wright comes from the backside, grabs it, and puts it in. His last second and one was the Cowboys' first final second game-winning shot since February 6, 2013, when Markel Brown made a layup with .2 seconds remaining against Baylor in OT. It's the first game-winning shot since Avery Anderson's Pull up three with 3.5 seconds remaining against K-State on February 19th, 2022 in overtime. So pretty awesome stuff there from John Michael Wright. He's been playing really well lately. He was named Big 12 Newcomer of the Week, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. Keon Williams, biggest impact he's made. And I think since conference play started, scoring 10 points, his most since November 27th, which was against Prairie View when he scored 11. He was kind of all over the floor, did some things that were a little suspect at times, but he was a great rebounder. He was taking open threes. They weren't going in, but man, was he firing them up. He shot five on the day. Uh, Coach Boynton had some quotes on both of these guys, on John Michael Wright, just talking about his confidence and what he's had to do since Avery Anderson's out. He says, I think part of it is he's comfortable with who he is as part of this team. And he's being asked to do a little bit more, probably closer to what he's what he's been before he got here. Now, not necessarily having to average 18 points per game, but with Avery Anderson out, we need him to do a little bit more. On Keon Williams' three-pointers, which I just kind of talked about a little bit, he says, I wish because the last couple games, it's been his first time down the court and touching the ball. He's launched a three. I'm trying to get him to understand, allow yourself to get in the flow, get a layup, get to the free throw line, and that'll make the three-point shot feel a little, bit, a little bit better. But it's a part of the process with a freshman. And I completely understand that from Coach Boynton. I'm fine with Keon taking some of these open threes. If he's able to make some, that's going to stretch the defense out a little bit, open some more driving lanes for guys like 
Bryce Thompson and John Michael Wright maybe open the lane up a little bit more for a Caleb Boone, for a Musa Cisse. But man, he's got to pick his spots a little bit better. He looks just a little erratic at times. He's definitely He definitely doesn't lack any hustle, but overall, there's still a lot of room for growth from Keon. But it was nice to see him score 10, grab four boards, have two assists, only two turnovers, but a little chaotic at times. He's got a really great knack for the ball, so it was, it was good to see that. Moving on to the Iowa State game, Oklahoma State beats number 11 Iowa State. That was this past Saturday, 64-56 to Iowa State in Hilton Coliseum, their first loss there this season. John Michael Wright, who we've talked about already several times in the Texas Tech recap, he led Oklahoma State in scoring with 19. Caleb Boone and Caleb Asbury led the team in assists with three apiece, and Caleb Boone and Musa Cisse led the team in rebounds with eight apiece. You could tell Iowa State, they were doubling Caleb Boone on the catch. He passed out of the double team very well. I think all three of his assists were out of the double team. Seven points from Bryce Thompson and six from John Michael Wright paced the Cowboys in the first 12 minutes of this game as the Cowboys and Iowa State were all tied up at 19 with about seven minutes to play in the first half. The Cowboy defense held the Cyclones scoreless for the final two minutes of the first half. But at halftime, Oklahoma State was trailing by six. A lot of turnovers in the first half. I think Oklahoma State had 10 turnovers in the first half. They showed this up a bit with only six in the second half. They they hit 70% of their free throws as opposed to Iowa State only hitting nine of 19 or 47%. Oklahoma State shot okay from three, 36% compared to Iowa State's 32. But I thought their defense looked really well, looked really good. They come out in the second half. Oklahoma State scores on its four of its first five possessions. Iowa State continues to keep the pace, hitting a couple threes, still up 40 to 36 with about 15 minutes remaining. Oklahoma State scores four quick points out of the timeout, tied up at 40. And then John Michael Wright goes on a little run of his own, scoring seven straight to keep it tied at 48 with about seven and a half minutes remaining. Caleb Asbury's first three of the game was huge. It's extended an Oklahoma State run to 10 to two and brought the Pokes lead to five with about four minutes remaining. And from that point, Oklahoma State never really looked back, cruised to a 64-56 victory. Like I said, the first loss at home this season for Iowa State. The last time Iowa State lost in Hilton Coliseum was March 2nd, 2002 against who else? Oklahoma State in a 53-36 Cowboy victory. Something to note in this game, Caleb Asbury really, really bothered Caleb Grill. There was a foul. Grill goes to the free throw line. It was on a three. Asbury and Grill are jawing with each other. Grill makes the first free throw, then misses the next two. On the second miss, Asbury grabs the rebound, and Caleb Grill kind of shoulder checks him, gets called for the foul. You could just tell that Asbury is in his head. They go down the other end, get a double technical foul because they're still jawing at each other. That ends up counting as Grill's fifth foul. So he is out of the game after missing two of three at the free throw line, fouling Caleb Asbury, and then fouling again. <laughs> Caleb Asbury's at the free throw line, hits him. You could tell, I heard Robert Allen talking about on the radio show that he talked to Scott Sutton just about Caleb Asbury. 
getting in Grill's head. I thought it was really funny. Grill was visibly upset. You could see him on the bench. He's still jawing. And Caleb Azra is just out there keeping himself composed. You don't want to get into those situations always late in game, but it works out in your favor. It's pretty awesome. So kind of looking at rest of the season, Oklahoma State has KU tonight, which I'm recording this on Tuesday. Then they play TCU at TCU. They go to West Virginia, and then they finish with K-State at home, Baylor at home, and Texas Tech away. Ken Palm has Oklahoma State losing tonight, losing at TCU, losing at West Virginia, but then winning against K-State, Baylor, and Texas Tech to finish 19-12 and 10-8. and If they do that, they're solidly in the NCAA tournament. I'm not sure how I think things are going to go. They're on such a roll right now, winning five in a row and seven of their last eight. I mean, I could see them beating KU tonight. And then if they do that, I really only think they need one more to kind of solidify themselves. They're seven and five in the Big 12 right now. If they could get to nine wins and one of those being KU and then one of those other teams I mentioned, I think they're in a really, really good spot. The AP poll came out. Oklahoma State is receiving votes for the first time this season, but they're not ranked. I thought they were maybe going to sneak in at 16 and 9 and 7 and 5 in the Big 12, coming off wins at or at home against TCU, at home against Texas Tech, and then at Iowa State, who's number 18 in Ken Palm, TCU's number 23. I thought those would be big enough wins to get them in, but they're not. Currently, there's six teams ranked in the Big 12. You got KU at, at number five. Texas at number six, Baylor at number nine, K-State at 12, Iowa State at 19, and then TCU at number 22. The latest projections I've seen for March Madness have Oklahoma State listed as an eight seed. If they continue, if they win a couple more, I think they could stay at that eight seed. If they win, if they could get to 11 wins and then maybe win a couple in the Big 12 tournament, who knows how high the seed could go. I'm thinking they maybe go in as an eight. I, I hate that eight, nine matchup, but we'll kind of see how it shakes out. They're on a huge roll right now. Coach Boynton was named coach of the week. Like I mentioned, John Michael Wright was big 12 newcomer of the week. So things firing on all cylinders for Cowboy basketball right now. And I'm very excited for tonight's game. Annoyed at how I place this podcast because I can't really talk recap. I can't talk preview, but I'll be watching. Hopefully, I'll be cutting some clips up tonight. So we will talk more about basketball next week when Kay gets back, hopefully after a KU and a TCU victory on Saturday. All right. Before we wrap up, wanted to hit softball and then a couple miscellaneous notes. So Cowgirl Softball played in the Puerto Vallarta Challenge in Mexico. This past weekend, it was broadcast on Flow Softball. I was able to watch. I tried to clip as much of it as I could. The games that I wasn't able to watch live, I tried to go back and post some. So it started out, they played Oregon, who is is ranked in the top 25. I've seen them at 24, 22. They beat them 3-0. to zero. Played North Carolina, who's not ranked, but a Power 5 school. They win 3-2. to two. They play Maryland, lose that one 6-11. to 11, And then they come back and play Ole Miss, who I've seen ranked in some polls. They're receiving votes in other they beat them three to zero. So just to kind of walk through, start against Oregon. Kelly Maxwell throws a complete game shutout as she led Oklahoma State to a season opening three to zero victory. She struck out 15 batters throughout the game, including seven consecutive. 
between the fourth inning and the sixth inning. She threw 92 pitches on the night, 72 of which were strikes. That's just absurd. It was a little bit of a pitcher's duel. Neither team could really get anything going. OSU finally grabbed the lead in the fifth inning when freshman Talon Edwards, who had an amazing weekend, drove in freshman Hayden Sokolowski, a bases-loaded walk drawn from OSU newcomer Rachel Becker, Alabama transfer, after a 13-pitch at bat, scored fellow Alabama transfer Megan Bloodworth, and a sack fly from Kylie Naomi brought in Angelina Craig to give the Cowgirls a 3-0 lead heading into the bottom of the fifth. Kylie Naomi had a good night as well. I talked about Talon Edwards and Rachel Becker. She had two hits, drove in the one with the sack fly, so that was pretty awesome. Like I said, that one finished 3-0. Against North Carolina, that was on Friday night. On Saturday night, late game, it was 8.30 Central. Alabama transfer Lexi Kilfoyle gets her debut. Like Kate and I mentioned, she's going to be kind of filling that Miranda Ellis role. She's going to be the designated player a lot of times when she's not pitching and probably bat in the four hole. And when she is pitching, she may she may bat as well, like she did in this game. She strikes out 12 batters in 6.1 scoreless innings, hit a home run, and she ended up driving in all three of the runs to lead Oklahoma State to the 3-2 win over North Carolina. Her two-run homer came in her first at bat, and then she struck out the side in the bottom half of that inning. So it was pretty awesome. In the, in the fifth inning, Kilfoyle drove in Talon Edwards with a single to give Oklahoma State that 3-0 lead. Freshman Kyra Acock, who Kate and I thought was going to get some work this weekend, she came in for Kilfoyle in the seventh. There was a throwing error and then two RBI singles from the Tar Heels. So Oklahoma State at this point is only leading three to two. They reinserted Kilfoyle, which you can do in softball, with two outs and runners on first and second. She struck out the last batter to end the game. Like I said, Talon Edwards impressed all weekend. She went two or three in this game with two singles and a run scored. On to Oklahoma State's first loss, Maryland. Alan Edwards played really well again to start with the positive. She had a two-hit, three-RBI performance, but it just wasn't enough. I think this is going to be a theme early in the season. Kate and I talked about it. They try to sure up the pitching rotation. You love, obviously, everything that you got from Kelly Maxwell this weekend. We'll talk about that more in the Ole Miss game. Kilfoyle looked good, a little shaky at times, but I thought overall she's filling in really well in that Miranda Ellis role. But after her... Everybody else seemed a little unsure, never really could settle in. And my question is, is does Oklahoma State have the power, which I think they only had two home runs on the weekend, one coming from Kilfoyle, one coming from Morgan Wynn, which awesome to see Morgan Wynn hit a home run. As we know, she struggled at the plate a little last year. But can Oklahoma State score enough whenever Maxwell and Kilfoyle aren't on the mound to win games? You know, it's softball, so we're going to see a lot of Maxwell. We're going to see a lot of Kilfoyle. But even when Kilfoyle is out there, she's going to give up runs at times. Can Oklahoma State score more than three runs against a lot of these better teams? You know, they score six against Maryland, but every other game they capped out at three. So we'll kind of see how that trends as the season moves on. It's it's not something I'm worried about. It's just a question I have. I think they do have a lot of power at the plate. Naomi, Factor, who we haven't really seen get going yet. Cheyenne kind of struggled at the plate. Kilfoyle, we mentioned Rachel Becker. There's a lot of players, Morgan Wynn, that can hit home runs. 
but when are they going to start kind of showing that off this season? So back to the Maryland game, Virginia Tech transfer Ivy, Ivy Rosenberry got the start. She went 2.1 innings, striking out two, but gave up three earned runs. Sophomore Bailey Runner, who redshirted or did not pitch for Oklahoma State last season, but she was on the team, made her first collegiate experience in the third inning, pitching 2.2 innings with one strikeout and two earned runs. Oklahoma State had the lead early. Maryland tied it up. Edwards put OSU back on top with an RBI single that brought home Bloodworth. But Maryland took the lead again in the third inning, capitalizing on a bases-loaded situation with their first home run of the season, being a grand slam that put them up 6-2. A two-RBI single from Edwards in the fourth inning brought home Rachel Becker and Bloodworth to bring OSU within two. It was 6-4 at that point. I thought OSU had a lot of momentum right there. But then Maryland comes out and puts up a three-run inning in the fifth. Oklahoma State responded with that Morgan win homer, which I've already brought up. It's 9-6 at this point. Then Maryland knocks in two more runs in the sixth to extend it to an 11-6 lead. And it was pretty much out of reach at that point. A couple of other Oklahoma State debuts, debuts in this game. OU transfer Alex Waitman got her first Oklahoma State appearance. And then Audrey Schneidmiller, the catcher, replaced Taylor Tuck in this game so Tuck could get a break. She caught the other three games. Oklahoma State, though, ended on a positive note. A combined shutout against Ole Miss from Kelly Maxwell and Lexi Kilfoyle helped lead Oklahoma State to a 3-0 victory on Sunday evening. Oklahoma State continued their trend, which they did all weekend, of striking first in the scoring department as Caitlin Carwile, who we haven't even mentioned yet, and redshirt freshman Michaela Work, the first baseman, another name we haven't mentioned yet. Both tabbed RBI walks with the bases loaded. It was both of their first RBIs of the season. In the next inning, Kelly Maxwell dominates. She dominated the entire game, improves to 2-0 in the season. 0.00 ERA has not given up an earned run. She pitched six with eight strikeouts and only two hits allowed. Kilfoyle collected her first save of the season coming in for relief. She gave up two hits, but she was able to kind of finish things off without too much trouble. Talon Edwards continued her hot streak at the plate, going two of three tonight with one RBI. For the tournament, she was seven of 13 with five RBIs. The Cowboys threatened to extend the lead in the fifth, following another Talon Edwards base hit and Kylie Naomi getting hit by pitch. They had runners on first and second with no outs, but they weren't able to capitalize. So, like I said, this game, they could have gotten more than three. They just left a lot of runners on base at times throughout the weekend. They tacked on their final run in the sixth inning to put themselves up three to zero. Edwards entered the batter's box with the bases loaded, took care of business, bringing home fellow freshman Hayden Sokolowski with a sack fly to left field. Oklahoma State's back in action next week. They had to Clearwater, Florida. That's always a big-time tournament in Clearwater at the Tax Act, Tax Act Clearwater Invitational. They start play on Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time against Texas A&M, where former Oklahoma State player and coach Julia Cottrell and Jeff Cottrell are now at. So Oklahoma State will get to face them at Texas A&M. And they play all the way through Saturday. It's going to be broadcast on ESPN+, Plus, I believe, all weekend. So... Pretty awesome there. My kind of key takeaways, aside from the fact that Kelly Maxwell is awesome, that Lexi Kilfoyle looked good, Talon Edwards is obviously the big story. She's playing left field. Kenny Gajewski talked about how he has to get her in the lineup because she's so dynamic. 
even playing positions that she doesn't normally play. And she, she lived up to the hype. She was absolutely amazing. I don't think she got a ton of action, not a ton of action out in left field, but when she did, she made the most of it. But I think she's overshadowing a little bit and no shot at talent at all. She was amazing in the MVP of the weekend on the offensive side. But Purdue transfer Rachel Becker. She went four of nine at the plate in the leadoff spot, took six walks. She had that 13 pitch at bat, two doubles, two runs scored in an RBI. She had an unassisted double play at second base. Another play where she showed off her arm, where she had to kind of run and grab the ball behind second base, do it to first falling away to get the out. She probably looked like one of the best players on the team in the field and at the plate. One of the smartest hitters I've ever seen as as far as pitch awareness and just when a strike or a ball is coming, when to swing, when not to. She's not swinging at balls, and if she doesn't like a strike, she's fouling it off and living to fight another pitch. It's pretty amazing to watch. She's Edwards and Becker, instantly two of my favorite players there. Going to need a little work in the field. Oklahoma State had an error from the pitcher and Rosenberry. Kylie Naomi had an error, and Megan Bloodworth had three errors at third base, which is a very difficult position. But having Sidney Pennington there for so long and being so solid in the field, we expect excellence at that position. I really liked what I saw from Bloodworth, but I think they need to sure stuff up in the field because that kind of goes along with what I'm saying. They, they've got to score more runs when Maxwell and Kilfoyle are on the mound, and they've got to be solid on defense if they want to win games. Nothing negative to take away from this weekend. I'll be really interested to see. You know, They've got, like I said, A&M, Nebraska, Virginia Tech, Louisiana Lafayette, and Michigan in the Clearwater Invitational. I think they need to win, and some of those games are on ESPNU, some are on ESPN+, Plus. correct what I said earlier. I'm really interested to see what they do. Very excited. I still have really high hopes for the season. It was a lot of fun getting to watch them this weekend. A couple of quick notes on other Oklahoma State sports. Oklahoma State Wrestling defeated number 16 South Dakota State 19-12 on Friday for its third ranked win in a row, and then they go on to beat Stanford 25-9. to on Sunday, Bedlam Wrestling is this Thursday. Oklahoma State Wrestling is firing on all cylinders right now. Be sure to check out our buddy Lee Cothran's Dynasty Defined podcast. Check out everything Seth Duckworth writes at Pistols Firing. Both those guys are great follows on Twitter. Oklahoma State Wrestling, you need to be tuned in right now because these guys are dominating and it has been a lot of fun to watch. And along with that, men's golf and women's golf start back their spring seasons the Cowboy men's golf team will be at the Water Sound Invitational this weekend. I think it starts on Sunday and goes through Tuesday, and then they'll be in Cabo a couple weeks after that. Women's golf is currently playing right now at the Nexus Collegiate Invitational and uh, the Albany Golf Tournament there, Albany Golf Tournament. I think they're in fifth right now out of 10 teams. So the final day is tomorrow. It'll be nice to see what they do, and that's taking place in the Bahamas. And then they go to Houston, uh, Humble, Texas, actually, where Houston's the host, the Icon Invitational in a couple of weeks. So both Cowboy men's and women's golf should have really solid seasons. We'll keep you updated there as things move along. That's pretty much all I have for today. We had a couple of Twitter questions related to baseball. can hit both of those real quick. We probably hit them earlier with Aaron Fit, which was an amazing interview. 
First one's from Justin Ludwig, at Justin underscore Ludwig. He says, what does Oklahoma State need to do differently from last year to make a super regional this year? I think the main question mark for them, I don't know if it's so much different than last year, Justin, is shoring up that Friday, Saturday, Sunday pitching rotation. You've got a guy in Watts Brown, but outside of that, you don't have a proven commodity at Oklahoma State yet. You've got a lot of big names, a lot of big arms. You know, we talked about a lot of them with Kiesel, Phillips, Hendry, guys that were on the team last year, Bogus, Root, guys like Carson Bench, we haven't got to see yet. Ryan Yur, Nolan McLean, could he end up starting a few games here and there instead of being at the closer spot? And then you've got to replace the power from Dorshing and Thompson. But I think they've gotten guys through the portal and from the high school ranks that they're going to be able to do that. Corbett Klein asked, and he's at Corbett Klein, who is going to be in the three and four spots in the lineup with Thompson and Dorshing gone? Some of the names we mentioned, you know, Wolfert, Sylvester, Hubert, Rock Riggio, Marcus Brown, David Nindum. These are all guys that I think could fill in those three sport, three and four spots. I think Aaron Fitt agrees. But who will it be? Who is a guy that steps up and shows they have the power? We know McLean has it. Is Carson Binge a guy who is another two-way player like McLean that we've talked about as far as a pitcher? Is he a guy who can step in and get some hits? They've got a lot of big dudes, which Aaron and I talked about. And let's see if they can kind of turn this into power at the D1 Power 5 college level. Thanks so much, Corbett and Justin, for those questions. I tried to only take baseball this week, so thank you guys for sending those in. As It's a little hard to do the questions by myself. Kate will be back next week. I think we'll be recording on Tuesday night. That's all I have today. Please, please follow the podcast on Twitter, at FeelsLike45Pod. Follow us on Instagram. You can follow myself at D-U-S-T-R-A-G-U, at Dust Ragu. You can follow Cade at Cade Webb, C-A-D-E-W-E-B-B. And as always, go Pokes. Have a good one.